Astronomy Cast, episode 434. Am I on an alien world? Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Fraser? cold really cold and it's like super prime astrophotography here but it's also super cold which I th they got to go hand in hand because we need clear skies and then it's super cold but uh but to support your astrophotography i just wanted to let everybody know that we just published dave dickinson's 101 astronomical events in 2017 and we took it to the next level and it's a book like a 220 page book with 101 things to see in the night sky totally free there's no ads in it there's no i don't want your email address it is just a free book go get it download it what i ask is that you just tell everybody like just tell everybody like walk into people in the street show them this thing exists let them download it too we want to get this out as wide as we can if a lot of people download it then we'll do it again for 2018 and if people don't then we won't so it's it's all up to you so use your downloads to determine your future of knowing what's in the sky. Exactly. And you, Pamela, you've got something to say. Um, I, I do. Nothing quite that exciting. Um, so so our show is, is funded by people like you. Um, without you, we can't pay Susie to remind me we need a topic for Thursday or Friday, depending on when we record. We can't pay Chad to edit together our episodes. We can't pay Amazon to provide our web hosting. So it's it's the time of year where we go, um, help, help. Can you help, please? Uh, so so AstronomyCast, uh, we have a donate page, astronomycast.org slash donate. Please give a little if you can, and we will be setting up a Patreon. Stay tuned. That That's a bit more tedious than one would think, but we're working on it. Awesome. Once again, science fiction, television, and movies has totally let you down. They try to recreate what it might be like on an alien world, but surprise, surprise, they mostly get it wrong. That's because a truly alien world would be different in so many ways. It would blow your mind. Today, we'll help you figure out if you're on a movie set or if you've actually crash-landed on an alien planet. And this is kind of in the, uh, in the news right now because we've got this video game, No Man's Sky, which purports to have you land on an, on an alien planet. I have played it. I've, uh, I've seen people's complaints, the gist being that it, uh, everything's the same. Um, and it doesn't really feel that alien after a while once you realize it. So, so how do we want to attack this here? Uh, let's say that I have woken up, uh, my spacesuit is screaming at me that there's a problem and I need to figure out whether I can just take my spacesuit helmet off because I'm actually on an earth soundstage or I should leave my helmet on because I'm on an alien world and I might die horribly. Uh, where sh should I start looking for clues? Well, the place that you don't look is the sky. So so one of the most endearing stories I, I ever heard 
was a Spitzer Space Telescope team scientist uh, related this hilarious story about how he got into astronomy because when he was a small child, for some reason he had this moment of being terrified he was going to be abducted by aliens walking home from school. And, and he wanted to know if he woke up in a random cornfield, if he was still on Earth or not. And he was worried that they'd like drop him in Australia and he'd look up and not recognize the sky. So he decided to memorize the Southern Hemisphere even though he was living in America. And, and then as an adult, he had this horrible realization that anywhere you can get in a reasonable amount of time, even at a few times the speed of light, will still look exactly the same, ignoring the planets. So, so right. looking up won't help you. <laughs> right, because the when you look out into space and you see the stars in the constellations that you're familiar with, those are all monster stars because they're all, they're all the big, brightest kinds are very much larger and brighter than our own sun. And they are, th- you know, hundreds to thousands of light years away. And so you could go hundreds of light years away in almost any direction and then and the constellations would still look roughly the same yeah did, did he get abducted no oh okay wah, wah. <laughs> all right so it's... so what so what you're saying is is like look up in the sky look at the constellations if you recognize the constellations you that doesn't mean that you've been transported to an alien world but if the constellations look totally different then you've got your evidence that you've been moved to an alien world maybe you have to know the sky really darn good and be able to recognize it from all sorts of crazy angles because as as you and i experienced just going down to the yucatan peninsula all of a sudden you have orion laying on its side and other things change and it gets to be a quite a bit confusing so yeah, i was i was in costa rica and the moon you know we're near the equator and the moon was flipped over on its side and of course the australians in fact I, i'm gonna go down a rabbit hill for a second here so when we developed our phases of the moon app we developed it with the moon the, the way it looks familiar familiar to us in the northern hemisphere and we had tons of people going uh take a look at what it looks like from anyone in the southern hemisphere it's the other way around and we had to we had to modify the app so we detect where you are and then rotate the moon based on on where you live which was a learning experience for us so so if you can see that moon however the moon's a dead giveaway that you're still on earth and and you can see the moon pretty much from anywhere on the earth so look for the moon, but not seeing the moon also doesn't mean you're not on Earth because it could be new or something annoying like that or just on the other side of the planet. Okay, but I, I still put the if it's night and you look up and you don't recognize any of the constellations and you know your, con- and you know your constellations and what you should see, then, you've, then there's a good shot that you are not on Earth. So keep, keep that helmet on. Keep, keep that. Right. Okay, so great. So let's just be clear. Keep your helmet on. Okay, great. Uh, so what is the next major clue you're going to be needing? Gravity. This, this is one of my pet peeves in television shows. I, I have gotten very ranty at many different shows because they're like, and now we're landing on this moon. We're landing on this asteroid. And gravity is Earth normal. If, if, if your hair isn't bouncing extra, if you're not bouncing extra, you're probably on an earth-sized world what does the like 
like what would that effect of gravity look like? I mean, you know, like if you jumped up into the air, mm-hmm. how would that feel? So one of my favorite examples is you have on the TV show Eureka, they they went to the moon Titan in theory, and they're getting off their spacecraft and they're walking down the ramp and everyone's walking just like normal. But if they were actually on little tiny Titan, they'd be bouncing like we saw the astronauts on the moon bouncing. So every step, you'd be inadvertently heading a little bit harder towards that ceiling than you meant to be heading for it. And if you're on something tiny, like a comet, which is one of those things that they love to blow up in movies, you're probably going to weigh the same amount as like a piece of paper weighs on Earth, in which case you might just like jump off the entire comet by accident. Yeah, and the classic example of this is something like Armageddon, of course, where they land on the surface of this comet the size of Texas, of course, or asteroid the size of Texas, of course, there's only one asteroid that's the size of Texas, which is like Ceres, but, but, um, but still, and, and don't, and the, and the gravity is kind of the same, and they're jumping, and there's, they're driving their space truck around, and, and it's just clearly not. So I would be part of the Armageddon hoax uh, conspiracy theory, seeing that kind of a footage. They didn't actually land on that on that asteroid. No, it was no, faked that was in a, a Hollywood soundstage. soundstage yeah, uh, right. But but I guess I mean some of the re- one interesting thing that I've heard as well is like if you fall off of say the the Valles Marineris cliff on Mars in the in the lower gravity of Mars, but also the lower atmosphere, you would you know, the terminal velocity is way higher, hundreds and hundreds of kilometers and so per hour. And so in the beginning, you would fall more slowly, but you wouldn't stop falling more and more quickly until you were literally going, uh, you know, incredible speed. So you would actually hit way harder on the surface of Mars, for example, than if you were on Earth and jumped off the yeah, same height. So, so once you start getting to the point that gravity starts to feel closer to normal, enough that you can delude yourself that that I just forgot what it feels like to walk, um, which is a pretty strong delusion to have, but let's go with it. You, you have someone hit on the head pretty hard, waking up on the new world. How things fall varies with atmosphere, and it isn't just how things fall, but it's how sound travels through that atmosphere, so the thunk they make when they hit the ground also changes. So you can do the good old-fashioned drop experiment and watch to see, does it fall super weirdly slow? We've all seen things fall a million times. And then when it lands, does the sound it make sound anything like what we're used to? I, I wonder... I mean, I guess, you know, you're going to have... You still have your helmet on, which was the, which was the wise move. Uh, and, and you've thrown the rock... And it is, it has sort of, it follows an arc that you're very familiar with here on Earth. And then it whomps onto the ground, and you can still hear it through your spacesuit because you got one of those really fancy spacesuits. How will the sound change and why? Well, so first of all, you have it doesn't carry as well if there's super low atmosphere. So if there's super low atmosphere, first of all, you have the deadening of the sound. 
then you also have to look at what's the composition of the atmosphere because this changes how I mean, we've all spoken in helium and because it, it has a much lower um, number of at- it, it's it's a different sized atom it interacts with the gas laws differently all sorts of crazy physics we can do an entire episode on why things sound the way they sound let's actually do that next episode i think, I think we did we do have a uh, an episode called sound okay yeah so, but, so we're but good the, go listen to that episode. right but the just being like you know we talk about about like like things moving through a medium and the what that medium is will change the speed that the sound will move through it. I mean, if you, you know, sound moves differently through water than it does through through air, than it would through an, an atmosphere entirely of helium. So, so helium will make things sound higher pitched. Things that have a higher atomic number than nitrogen does will make things sound lower pitched. Um, it it all depends on what that atmospheric composition is and you can actually do occasionally deadly experiments with this so I don't recommend this but there are people who will inhale different non-toxic gases and then speak the problem is that if you get some of the heavier ones in your lungs you need to actually hang upside down and cough to make sure you expel all the heavier gases because you're not going to do it casually on your own yeah, I've seen that experiment. It's like a uh, someone has like a I forget the stuff. It's like some kind of flora, fluorine. I forget the stuff yeah. it, that it is, but they they breathe it in and then they just sound like the devil. And then they try like helium and it sounds super high Many pitched. Mouths. And so if you were on a planet, just literally the way sounds are getting to you, you throw that rock and you if you don't hear the kind of thumping, the kind of sound that you are familiar with on on Earth, then once again, you've got a pretty good clue that you were on an alien world. And and so if you're hearing that super deep sound, it might just be an atmosphere of sulfur hexafluoride, which is that deep voice. Right. That's the stuff I was talking about. Yeah. Sulfur hexafluoride. Uh, Okay, great. Now, what about the light? What about the what you're seeing all around you? So, so the density of, of the atmosphere has a lot to do with how the light gets scattered. Composition is again going to matter. It always matters. But the density comes into play pretty strong on this one because you have the column density of the light that's able to do the scattering. So as light passes through an atmosphere, if it's thin like you have on Mars, your sunsets are blue. Your daylight is pretty white. If you have a thicker atmosphere, your noonday sun is red and your uh, twilight is like a deep burgundy, you're not seeing the other horizon at all. Right. And and we've seen like the pictures of what the sunsets look like on Mars. We had a, a chat about this, that the sunsets on Mars are blue. They're, and- they're glorious, this, this deep beautiful blue with the sun appearing white on the horizon and and the sky just doesn't scatter the same way that's why you also don't get a blue daytime sky so the thicker the atmosphere the redder your sky is during the day the thinner your atmosphere the less blue it gets and your eye just sort of gives up on perceiving it and at a certain point it's not even going to scatter enough light that you can see a sky you just see stars beyond the atmosphere 
So, okay, so this is a good clue. So you look up and you see black sky, but also this burning orb. That's a clue. That That is a clue that you need to keep your helmet on because there's not enough oxygen or any other gas mm-hmm. to scatter light outside of your helmet. Now, you're so, not necessarily going to be able to see stars, of course, because you're, you're, you know, your eyes are going to be adapted to that super bright sunlight. But right. you're still going to have the blackness of the rest of the of the rest of the sky. And what's cool is if you're smart enough to like turn yourself around so that the sun is directly behind you, then you can actually get rid of the blindness spots where you've saturated the the chemical reaction in your eye, and start to see stars on the opposite side of the sky once your eyes adjust. Because there, there isn't brightness all around you. So you can assemp- essentially, if the ground isn't reflecting light back at you, if you're, if you're on a white surface, this won't work. Um, but if you're, if you're on a nice non-reflective surface, just turning around, your eyes will adjust because the dynamic range straight in front of you allows you to perceive the stars. So we just explained why the the moon conspiracy people are crazy. Um, yes. This is why you can't see stars when the sun is in the sky and it's really bright. Um, okay, so now what about the color of the sun? So if you see the sun and the sun is orange or the sun is red, is that a clue? Um, occasionally. And the reason I say occasionally is you can get a red sun here on Earth if you happen to be near a volcano eruption. So you go looking through that cloud at the sun and that gas and debris in the atmosphere will scatter the sunlight. Now, if the sun is straight overhead and it's a crystal clear blue sky that you happen to see this funky red star in, um, that means that you have the exact right confluence of scattering and sun color and the perfect math has happened to get this beautiful thing to occur, and you should keep your helmet on. Right, right. I mean, here on Vancouver Island, you know, we've got lots of forests, and during the summertime, huge chunks of the island are on fire. And so we get these terrible forest fires, and there are times when the sun is red. And I know I shouldn't, but I put on my sunglasses, and I look at the sun, and it is like just this red ball in the sky that is... Yeah. It looks like I'm, what am I, am I in Krypton? You know, like I'm on this this place with a red world. Now, what if the sun was blue? Yeah, that doesn't happen naturally. And I'm not sure our eyes would ever actually perceive a blue star as blue. I think we'd get so overwhelmed that we'd see it as white, just like we can't see green stars. Blue happens when you look at things like Rigel, but in general... If it's close enough that you see it as a star, I'm not sure that that wouldn't just be overwhelmingly bright, bright causing your eyes to go, nope, I'm out. I, I like this. Uh, this just came from the chat. Uh, our intro said, I bet seeing two suns rather is a big clue as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> if you see two suns, sorry, Chad. If you see two suns, you may be on Tatooine uh, or any of the other binary systems that have been discovered to have planets, and you're definitely not here, and you should keep your helmet on. <laughs> right. Multiple stars. Keep your helmet on. Okay. Uh, is there anything else, any other clues that you've got? Now, what about the flora and fauna? Yeah, if, if you start seeing mega reptiles... <laughs> 
probably not the same if you start seeing uh, massive flying things with fur. Not the same. Plants gets harder because at a certain level, there's so many weird plants that we as humans aren't necessarily used to. Uh, when I went to Indonesia, I spent a lot of time going, wow, look at that tree. Um, apparently, I'm easily amused. Yeah. So so I think it would depend on, on the nature. Now, if you're on a world that instead of having green chlorophyll, the plants are, are tuned to a different wavelength, which mm. means you probably also have a different color sky, different yep. color star. But if the plants are clearly tuned to a different color, which cropped up in some different episodes of Star Trek, um, that's that's going to be a giveaway. But if you see green plants that you don't recognize, I, I you know, it's a weird world out there. Yeah, it really is. Uh, yeah, you, you just mentioned cropped up in a couple of episodes of Star Trek in that they filmed in some Earth-based place and then just turned the filter. plants a different color. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, once again. And, of course, I think aliens, if you see aliens walking True. around, interacting with you, either telling you to take your helmet off or not take your helmet off, you know, you should take their advice under advisement. Well, if there's only one alien, you just might be on Earth and be that poor, unlucky side to make first contact. Right. The, the alien's on our planet, and then you happen to... <laughs> right. But if they're all around you in their alien buildings, then, you know, you can use that as a right. clue. Right. It's true. Yeah. Uh, anything else that we should be aware of as we're... Uh, uh, so who... Has, has anyone ever done a good job of of showing what it would be like to be on any kind of alien world yes lynette cook has actually done some really good artistry of what it would look like uh to live on various worlds where she sat down with the scientists and figured out okay if you lived in a globular cluster it would look like this if you lived near a white dwarf star it would look like this so she's she's worked out a lot of of the science behind how you get at the different kinds of skies. But I literally can't think of any television show or no. movie that has ever done a properly good job of of replicating it. And the gravity is the big one. Like we loved The Martian, yeah. but still you know, it's 0.38, you know, it's 38% of the gravity on Mars than it is on Earth. And so in literally every scene that Matt Damon is walking around, he should have been hopping around. They should have put him, like, if they really wanted to do it right, they would have put him on wires and they would have made it, they either, you know, would have figured out how to get him to walk around in a way that it was, he was clearly, he would have been able to do things like jump across the, uh, the habitat yeah. In one bound, that, you know. And that would be so much fun. It, it would have been awesome, yeah. And now people have done zero gravity fairly well. I mean, there was The Expanse, which which did a great job of handling the zero gravity. They didn't do such a great job once they, they sort of moved between zero gravity and some gravity. Actually, right. okay, hold on. In The Expanse, there's an episode, there's a scene where one of the characters is looking at his window and he sees a bird flapping outside the window. And the bird is flapping in a way that it would if it was in oh. lower gravity. And so it was sort of flapping, and then it was sort of drifting up, and then it was coming back down, and it was flapping. And so it was it was actually done, but then he was walking around in normal gravity. And so it was just like, oh, you got, you were so close. You just well, about and, had and there's, it. 
there's so many little things that you'd have to train yourself behaviorally to do different. Uh, hair. I, I use my head a lot and move it a lot. And I would constantly be eating my hair indoors simply because the force of turning my head quickly to look at something, it would happily float up and, and it would just take much less effort to do violence upon yourself. In um, Apollo 13, I believe they shot chunks of that movie in the Vomit Comet. They did. Yeah. And so and so that was actual microgravity. That was real. And they were doing things like like drinking water and and sort of zooming around through the parts of the spacecraft. That is utterly exactly how how it is. Uh, That's something else that would change the fluid dynamics, how how things splash, how they move, how they change. Um, All of that would look slightly different and enough to just totally mess with you. And uh, uh, Guido Bieber in the chat was mentioning that that this was one of the reasons why the moon landings just looked so real was because they were hopping around in lower gravity, which through the technology of the time and even now is incredibly complicated and expensive to try and fake that that the way they moved around and the way the dust flapped flapped you know around their feet that you know that is just so such a hard thing to show and you just went on for hours and hours and hours so i think that you know in the future when we have those first explorers land on the surface of mars it's going to look nothing like what it did in The Martian or right. any of those movies because they're going to move so strangely. Just and they're gonna... dust being suspended. The, yeah. The dust getting suspended in the air with less gravity, with less air, changes how dust works. And there's also electric magnetic fields. So you have this weird, it's not supported by air pressure. It's not floating around in the air the same way. But charge builds up and so things electrostatically. It's this neat, crazy chaos of physics, which is glorious and people get dissertations for figuring these problems out. Yeah, yeah. So I guess in conclusion, if you wake up on an alien world uh, and you're not sure if it's an an alien world or it's Earth, um, the gravity is going to be the big one. Like everything else, you know, could be simulated, but it's really hard to fake the gravity. So if you jump up and you jump 10 meters into the air and then land again, or if you can barely pick yourself up off the ground and you feel like there's weights all over you, uh, that should be your greatest clue. And then listen for the sounds, look at the sky, see what the uh, atmosphere composition is, um, and and go from there to try and puzzle out whether or not you've uh, crash landed on an alien planet or it's just Earth. Perfect. And, uh, and then it's perfectly safe to take off your helmet. All right. Thanks, Pamela. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association, Fraser Kane, and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at infoastronomycast.com, tweet us at astronomycast, like us on Facebook, or circle us on Google+. We record the show live on YouTube every Friday at 1.30 p.m. Pacific, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, or 20.30 GMT. If you missed the live event, you can always catch up over at cosmoquest.org or our YouTube page. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. 
Our music is provided by Travis Earle, and the show was edited by Chad Weber. This episode of Astronomy Cast was made possible thanks to donations from people like you. Please give by going to astronomycast.org slash donate.